The 5-8, your Friday night hang. We take five of the week's most notable and newsworthy topics and spend eight minutes covering each one. Join me, Greg Oliar, and LB, Stephanie Koff, Friday nights, live, 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern. It's the 5-8. Here's what went down on Friday. Each of the week's five most fucked up topics for eight minutes. So, five topics, eight minutes, two hosts, one guest, some singing, a lot of curse words, and as many cocktails as we deem necessary. LB, how are you? I'm well. Or water. I'm having water tonight. Water is a drink, I think. It's a drink. Yeah. Oh, it's a cocktail. I'm not having a cocktail either. Yeah, you're you're not. You're having you're you're deviating a little bit from your usual Manhattan. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, um Don Draper, like in like season four of Mad Men. He's just like, Yeah, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm just having beer. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> uh well, it's like that. It was a little bit of a long week. How was your week? Um, chaotic, I guess. Today was a very chaotic day. I feel like I think Mercury's in retrograde. I could feel the Mercury oh, retrograde no. retrograding off its retrograde today. Okay. Just this afternoon, it was a crazy, it was a crazy afternoon where every little thing took um, just a little bit longer and got more complicated than maybe it should have been. But that's yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm a little tired. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a little tired from my day. So I feel pretty I, good though. Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm happy to be here with you and um, discuss all things. I don't remember if we had something at the top. Any kind of little news item we're going to throw out there? No, but um, I don't know if you heard this. And I know, you know, I, I was excited because I didn't think there was going to be anything new to watch. But there is going to be um, the second season of Severance is actually starting um, in October. Um, huh. And the second season of Severance is going to be all of the defendants trying to sever their cases from Sidney Powell. <laughs> huh? Huh? Yeah, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cheese, bro. Like, no, man. No, I don't even know her. I don't know her. You know. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's going to be interesting to watch these uh, these folks figure one another out. I mean, there's there's they were they were such a they were such a bonded unit and unity for their cause. Yeah. Um, and now I I'm not sure that I think they're they're going to coffee boy and girl each other real quick. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, because what do they have to lose other than, you know, jail time? Yeah, yeah. liberty. Yeah. Yeah. Liberty. And they love liberty. That's all they talk about. Liberty, freedom, my freedoms, my freedoms. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I don't know. Well, it was, a, it was, a, it was, a, it's justice is coming down now in sort of bigger ways. We'll get to that towards the end of the, mm -hmm. towards the end of our show tonight. Um, but it, it's good to it is good to see it rolling. I will say that I feel good about the roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, we're on that part of the ride now, and and hopefully it'll last um, a good long while. It would be nice, you know. Really I nice. could get into this. It's just a yeah. yeah. Just every week there's a new, you know, it's like like music in the nineteen early nineteen seventies. Just every week something. Really so they, awesome. I mean, almost to the point to where, oh yeah, we forgot about those guys. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. There's so many. There's so many little uh, conspirators. Yeah, that, uh, it's lovely to see all the little uh, the groups. Maybe that's the crack in um, every leg. 
every leg of the of, of the of the plot of the coup is uh, finding its way uh, to be severed. Which is yeah, crazy. severed to bring it back around. You know, bring it back around. Bring it back around. All right, should we yeah. dive into our topics? Let's dive into the topics. Yeah, let's get in there. All right, timer is set. Okay. Uh, All right, privileges and immunities. What do you mean by that? Well, um, I wanted to talk about. Um, this is kind of, I, I went down a, a little bit of a legal rabbit hole, which I never do. Um, but I wanted to talk about what's happening in Alabama. So, okay, this is from The Hill, Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall, which is a name that sounds like he's like the bad guy in a John Cusack movie from 1987. Steve Marshall argued in a court filing Wednesday that he can file criminal charges against people who assist those getting abortion care outside the state. Marshall argued that people who organize for travel for those leaving Alabama to receive an abortion, for example, maybe participating in a criminal conspiracy because abortion is illegal in the state. Alabama has one of the country's most strict anti-abortion laws. The conspiracy is what is being punished, even if the final conduct never occurs. Marshall wrote in the filing that conduct is Alabama based and is within Alabama's power to prohibit. So this got me to thinking, apart from all the, you know, obviously this guy is just evil incarnate and yeah. all of that stuff. Um, I don't want to just rant about how he's an asshole for eight minutes, although I would like to. Um, I want to just go into a little bit. I dove into it because I thought about the Fugitive Slave Act because I'm like, that's what this is. You know, in my mind, like that's sort of the same kind of idea where, you know, people leave in their states and what what rules apply. And, uh, you know, it's it's not actually the same thing um, because the Fugitive Slave Act is a was a federal law. And this Alabama law, the Idaho law, these are state laws. So, you know, Alabama really doesn't have the right to come into New York, say, and tell us what to do. Um, and it, it goes into something um, under the 14th Amendment, um, which is the right to interstate travel. And I'm going to read now. This is from Find Law, um, something that was uh, legally reviewed by Laura Temme. OK, uh, the 14th Amendment says this is important, I think. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state where they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any law deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. What it means... Um, Okay, the doctrine of the right to travel actually encompasses three separate rights, of which two have been notable for the uncertainty of their textual support. The first is the right of a citizen to move freely between states, a right venerable for its longevity, but lacking a clear doctrinal basis. The second, expressly addressed by the first sentence of Article 4, provides a citizen of one state who is temporarily visiting another state the privileges and immunities of a citizen of the latter state. So what does that mean? Privileges and immunities. This, I think, is when, when all of this stuff is going to wend its way into the court. This is, I think, where we're, you're going to see that come up. Um, okay. I think the fight is going to be. Um, and it, I, I looked into the history of it. And again, I am not a lawyer. I didn't go to law school. I usually find this stuff really boring. But I kind of went down the, uh, the rabbit hole a little bit uh, here. And what I found is that um, most of the... Uh, the, um, that clause got repudiated right away in something called the Slaughterhouse Cases, which is not a Vonnegut short story book. It's actually a real thing. Um, so, again, this is I'm just reading from Wiki here. 
um, the slaughterhouse cases, which is in 1873, so after the Civil War, essentially gutted the privileges and immunities clause. The American scholar Edward Samuel Corwin remarked, unique among constitutional provisions, the privileges and immunities clause of the 14th Amendment enjoys the distinction of having been rendered a practical nullity by a single decision of the Supreme Court rendered within five years after its ratification. And then we have a, a scholar from, um, you know, who's more, I think, on the right, arguing that it was originally meant to protect only specifically federal rights and describes the later broader interpretation of the amendment as the court's use of the 14th Amendment to claim a capricious national judicial authority. Um, you know, this kind of idea that how dare the federal government tell the states what to do. Um, and then mm. another scholar who more on the left wrote virtually no serious modern scholar left, right and center thinks that the decision is a plausible rendering of the 14th Amendment. This view is echoed by historian Eric Foner, who wrote a big book about uh, Reconstruction. That's his specialty. He wrote, the court's study distinction between the privileges deriving from state and national citizenship should have been seriously doubted by anyone who read the congressional debates of the 1860s. Um, and so, yeah. Anyway, it's interesting that this is the sort of thing that got tossed out, right? Because uh, it got tossed out. It's It's been not used in court law really at all since the slaughterhouse case. It's very, very rarely used or even referenced because it's sort of, you know, starry decisis. No, that doesn't exist or whatever. However, um, I went digging and there was a case called signs versus row um, in 1999, um, which was about uh, whether welfare could go from state to state. Somebody moved into California from somewhere else and argued that they should be getting as much welfare in California as they would have in whatever state they were from. Um, so uh, the, the just the judges, the majority all said, yes, of course, because of travel, you should get this. Um, one of the two dissenters was our friend Clarence Thomas. Oh my! Get right out of town, right? Um, mm. He wrote in 1999, in my view, the majority attributes a meaning to the privileges or immunities clause that likely was unintended with it when the 14th Amendment was enacted and ratified. P.S. There's actually the guy who wrote the thing saying Clarence Thomas is wrong here, but we won't get into that right now. OK, um, the, I'm going back now. Clarence, again, the privileges or immunities clause of the 14th Amendment provides that no state shall make or enforce any law which should abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Um, unlike the equal protection and due process clauses, which have assumed near talismanic status in modern constitutional law, the court all but read the privileges or immunities clause out of the Constitution in the slaughterhouse cases. So he's saying, who pooted this? You know, it's a, he's sort of also hinting that the other stuff is BS also. However, <laughs> you're not going to believe this. Oh. Uh, 11 years later, in 2010, in the case of McDonald versus Chicago, uh, which is, you know, the one that overturned Heller and made all these guns come out. Well, made all the guns. Made yeah. all the guns come out. Then Clarence Thomas, like, rethought maybe his position about this a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh Thomas, while concurring with the majority and declaring the Second Amendment applicable to state and local governments, declared that he had reached the same conclusion only through the Privileges or Immunities Clause. Um, so, uh, yeah. So there's Clarence Thomas um, changing his mind, um, which is interesting. Uh, <laughs> you know, and again, I, I've been I, I want to also note um, CCJ, who goes by Nasty Old Woman on Twitter. Help me with this by showing me oh, what to read. And uh, she's great, by the way. It's a wonderful account um, to yeah. follow. But uh I said, I, I have literally never read any case law at all ever until 20 minutes ago. And I've already found Clarence Thomas contradicting her, himself. Um, and she said, welcome to the club. So, um, yeah, 
the uh, and then the last piece here before we get to the end. Um, yeah. Fortunately for us, LB. Fortunately for us, oh. there's another judge currently sitting who has other ideas about this, and I'm going to read what this particular uh, justice wrote. Oh my God. Uh, this is apropos. He, uh, this person wrote this. Um, after Dobbs, as kind of a sidebar to Dobbs. Quote, okay. some of the other abortion-related legal questions raised by today's decision are not especially difficult as a constitutional matter. For example, may a state bar a resident of that state from traveling to another state to obtain an abortion? In my view, the answer is no, based on the constitutional right to interstate travel. Want to guess who wrote that? I mean, it, was, it the, was it Coney Barrett? Nope. I'll give you a hint. Hashtag. It's our hashtag. It's our friends. It was Kavanaugh? Yep. Beer Bong wrote that. Oh, well, you know, he probably he might have a vested interest in some of that. I don't know. Now, Adam Lipnick says in the New York Times, um, all right. he, he quotes um, Seth Kramer, who's a law professor at the University of Pennsylvania, hmm. um, you know, and who basically says, well, you know, pump the brakes on Kavanaugh's enthusiasm here. Um Read closely, Professor Kramer said of Justice Kavanaugh's statement. He may not even suggest protection against prosecuting the resident upon her return or sinking to sanction doctors in sanctuary states, either by prosecution or damage actions. He went on to say, Kavanaugh hasn't committed himself to protection of anything beyond travel. So while robust protection could emerge, it's not an outcome one can rely upon. So again, this is messy. It's weird. Um, the the legal like people seem to think that this shit is going to get overturned really quick and that it's dumb, but it's going to wend its way through the courts and there's going to be arguments made. And I think based on what I can glean, that's where the arguments are going to derive from. So it's something to keep an eye on in Alabama as this fascist woman hating blood on his hands motherfucker uh, tries to take rights away from women, not only in the state of Alabama, but everywhere in this great land of ours. Yeah, if I start weighing in, it's going to get real ugly real quick here. <laughs> it is. And see. You know, how dare you? How dare you? You know, we're not here to make your babies, and we're not your fucking property. You can't You don't own us. You work for us. We pay your salaries. Fuck off. That's it. That's as far as I can go without losing my mind tonight. Ah, okay. And, you know, good luck to them. Good luck to Alabama. Yeah. Maybe they can grow their economy just with only Alabamians or whatever the hell you call those people. Like, maybe that's it. Because any other company, anybody coming there, any labor force... Uh, you want to attract companies, you want to attract people to come work there, but you're literally telling them they cannot travel to go. What if I want to go, you know, I, I brought this up to you. Like, what about the, what about the marijuana laws, which are different state to state? What if someone goes to Colorado and like, is Alabama going to prosecute them for going and having a, a good time? Are they going to be a dry state? What if they turn into a dry state? What if someone goes like, what the, what are they talking about? What the, this is, this, this is a mind, talk about a mind virus. This yeah. is a mind virus gone bananas. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, but there's no internal logic to it too. Like they say, we're constitutionalists, we're this and that. And then they just, 
they just make shit up to get to what the outcome is that they want, which is exactly the opposite of what you're supposed to do. I think when you're a judge, you're supposed to actually, you know, look at all the evidence at hand and read the case law and render the, the decision based on what's there. They don't do that. Like Clarence Thomas, we've already seen. And again, my, my very long history of studying the law that's lasted, you know, less than 12 hours. The guy just makes shit up whatever he, you know, he cherry picks. That's what he does. That's right. Well, whatever happens between his, his uh, yacht tours and his private jets and all of the things, all of his gifts that he, he decided this week, he would finally admit to taking all those bribes. Yeah. Yeah. He's bought and paid for. Yeah. All right. But just because we're going on that with the labor, a little transition there. Okay. Um, Paradise lost. Paradise Paradise lost. Labor. Labor. I mean, it is Labor Day weekend, right? And um, here, here we are learning stuff. This is the, this is the Greg and LB learning stuff week. Um, (laughs) You know, you think you go to all this schooling and and there's still so much to learn. Never stop learning. Anyway, um, I am in a labor union, which is what Labor Day is about, right? It's a celebration of all that. And, um, and I'm on strike. So it's a double whammy. And in the middle of being on strike, uh, my particular union is having elections. And so we're uh, going through the democratic process, small d democratic process of voting for our new leadership who will hopefully um, keep on the path, a righteous path as we continue on with this strike, moving towards hopefully getting what we need as workers. So um, I decided to like, I, I, I want to talk a little bit more historically. I know we talked last week about this. I'm trying to talk about this more often and use my my silly Twitter account for good um, in bringing awareness to what the right of strike is uh, about and what we're all about. But I wanted to kind of go back and do a little bit of history this week and then give some context about um, and again, this is me. All of a sudden, I'm not a labor union expert. I just in one. Um, but like you, like as of, you know, 20 minutes or 24 hours ago, I was like, okay, I need to learn a little bit more. Um, so bear with me, guys. I just want to share some stuff I've been learning. First of all, about my union in particular, there's some history in here that is really cool. Hang on. I'm in the wrong. Let me get in the right things. I want to read this. Um so for the Riders Guild, which is what I mean, I'm, there's like two parts of the Riders Guild. There's Riders Guild West and Riders Guild East. And it's not necessarily New York versus L.A. It's it's sort of what you do within the guild of, you know, journalists versus screenwriters, that kind of thing. So um, here's a little some facts for you guys. So it wasn't until 1933, actually, because there was sort of early guilds or at the you know, early 1900s, the Dramatists Guild and the um, uh, Authors Guild, there were these guilds, but they didn't have collective bargaining power. They were empowered by the Supreme Court. So it was in 1933 that the Screenwriters Guild started to get serious. And by 1937, it had become a real union with officers and a Supreme Court mandate to act as a bargaining agent for all motion picture writing. So that's when it all coalesced around the industry uh, of screenwriting and so it, motion pictures because there wasn't a lot of television then, there was radio, and said, you know, this is, you know, you guys can act as one bargaining agent against the studios. Um, 
They began bargaining with the studios in 1939, and their first contracts were signed in 1942. So there were those war years in between where there was a sort of a general labor peace. But within the organization, there were all these power struggles going on to sort of farm. So we didn't really get our contracts, our first contracts until after the war. Um, meanwhile, a radio writers guild had been formed and they joined the Authors League, which was the predecessor to the Screenwriters Guild. But in 1950, the Screenwriters Guild organized the radio writers. So we brought those radio writers in and the Authors Guild got brought in and the Dramatists Guild got brought in. So these are playwrights and novelists and all that. And the Radio Writers Guild, Television Writers Guild, all became one as the Screen Writers Guild. And then in 1954, the organization was revised again, and it is as it is now, which is the Writers Guild of America, East and West. Um, the sole collective bargaining agent for motion pictures, broadcast, cable, interactive, and new media. This includes TV animation writers. Okay. So there's this came from an article that... Uh, that someone helped me find that was about the comics, you know, the folks that write graphic novels and the comic writers um, wanting to form a union as well. And so the history of this and whether they've joined our union, which I don't think they're in. I don't still, again, I'm still learning. Okay. So that's just a little background on that because since I talk about that union a lot, something I, I learned. And then I dove into learning this paper, which is a great paper about, you know, the sort of the role of labor unions broadly in the United States, in a democracy, in our democracy, and how Citizens United kind of fuck shit up again, right? So um, I'll read a little bit for you guys from that. I know Greg and I are reading to you tonight, but again, we're learning. We're just learning this. Um, so Citizens United, there's just has been this thing in the United States of equating corporations to labor unions, right? Sort of saying, oh, they're sort of both doing their part for democracy. They're both, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, here's how they're different. And uh, Citizen United did this thing to sort of equate them. And that's actually a disservice. Corporations are plutocracies, if you're going to mm -hmm. equate them to anything. They're not democracies. It's not that they don't, bring good things into our nation or into a, a democracy. There are things, you know, there's jobs and blah, 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 um, product services, all this kind of stuff, things that roles that corporations play. But if you're going to look at one versus the other or both of them and sort of say they're equally contributing to de democracy or to dem their examples of democratic processes, um, there are some big differences. And so I wanted to sort of highlight those. And um, what Citizen United was, was sort of saying, oh, corporations are people, as we all know. And it was about, I think there's a sort of subtle thing that it was doing intentionally about blurring the lines, but also, you know, we think about it in terms of elections and what it does for elections, but it also had, had this chilling effect on corporations gaining more power and having these rights, which allows them to um, have, create arguments to do away with labor unions or to have the sort of right to work shit that came up underneath all that. So all this stuff is interconnected. I'm learning about it. Um, the, the interesting, I want to make sure I put my, I'm so sorry, you guys, I'm a little bit tired today. So I want to, oh yeah, I'm still going. 
uh, on my timer. Um, so let's just get to the elections because we're in this election, right, for our, our writer's guild and the small D democracy of a union. A union really does operate with electing its leadership the way we want a democracy to operate. You know, I it's an, it's it's really good for democracy the way to have this example working within it within this large body which are the labor unions. It is one union member, right? One person, one vote. That's it. It's real simple and easy. What corporations do is they do one share, one vote. Mm. So that's why it's more, it's a plutocracy, right? Yep. Because you can have, hang on, you can have um, a shareholder like a Mark Zuckerberg, right? You can have a public company, but you can have a shareholder that owns God knows how many shares. So that individual is making the decision for all of those shares. They're not each, they're not people. <laughs> those shares aren't people. They're not, they're shares. Um, so in that way, it's you have this unbalanced way and this really sort of, uh, I think, in a sense, a more damaging to democracy way that leadership is chosen and decisions are therefore made. Yes, you have shareholders electing board of directors or maybe weighing in on leadership and blah, blah, blah. It all goes in. But again, it comes down to who has the most shares. There's also differences, really interesting differences in how money is spent for leadership elections in a corporation as amongst the shareholders, as, as we all learned watching, you know, Succession, our other great show, and let the, all the shareholder meetings and all that, as opposed to a union. So unions can't, you can't spend the member dollars. Again, it's a, it's a union of laborers, it's workers. So we're the body of it. We, each one of us gets one vote. That vote is private. It's not disclosed. Again, great process. And uh, there are no, none of our funds that we pay in, like taxes, we pay dues. None of our dues are used for one candidate over another. There's not like, it doesn't go that way. You know, there's, you can't, if you're going to run, anybody can run that's a member, right? It's all treated equally. Everyone has the same rights and access to the member base. No, the union itself cannot come out for one versus the other. You cannot give undue media time or anything to one candidate over another because the funds are distributed. They're not coming out of the slush fund and there's a limit to what people can spend. So it's everything that would, if we just modeled our democracy and our elections specifically after how unions do it, we would actually have a represent, more representative government. It really would be more representative. There's also quite a lot of studies that show that unions themselves in terms of what gets achieved in an election and leadership and what the leadership goes out and, and accomplishes in things like a collective bargaining agreement represent the majority of the membership, right? As opposed to the way corporations do it and the way our democracy is functioning right now. We have minority rule. We don't, no one wants these guns proliferating like they're doing. No one wants AR-15s on every in every like corner. Like we don't want this. People want background checks. People want like that's just one category. Since you brought it up, 
you know, that where we want some proper legislation and we want the government to work on our behalf to keep us safe. But it's not going to happen because you have a plutocratic rule when it comes to this. You have pork, you have, you know, big fat cats in there that have their that the gun lobby or whatever, wherever their money's coming from, we don't know now because of Citizens United. And that's making the decisions for us against the will of the people, against even the way the people vote and who we elect. We still can't get this. There's still ways in our democracy that it works that stops legislation from going forward. This is my last point. Speaking of legislation going forward, there is an, a, a labor act that the House passed um, that has kind of, it's now got a 2023 version of it that we want to get passed. And it's the PRO. Let me go to it real quick. I'm going to say the name of it. I got to find it. Sorry, guys. Again, I'm jumping over all over the place, but we're learning together. Um, here we go. It is, oh my God, I'm going to have to tweet it out because I'm not going to find it now. I didn't have it written in front of me. But just so everybody knows, there's a there's an act that oh, protecting the right to organize act, the PRO Act. All the labor unions are for this. Uh, of course, the Democrats are for this. It's it would be codifying into federal law our ability to organize, and would also there's stuff going on right now where companies that don't want their workers to unionize like Starbucks, like these other big companies are forcing the, their workers as part of their employment to go attend meetings where they're basically making the argument against unionization. So that's a really big part of this protecting the right to organize act, this PRO act that it would prevent corporations from mandating that of their workers. Again, unions, one person, one vote, representative of the body of the people who make up the union, corporations, right? One share, one vote, allowing fat cats, plutocrats to rule over an organization without the workers having any say over the who is in leadership in the corporations that they work for that then come down with these mandates or come down with these with the workplace rules or even uh, pay scale, right? Minimum pay. So labor unions versus corporations, small D versus big P. We yeah. don't want it. <laughs> anyway, that's my labor union on Labor Day. I wanted to bring you guys a little bit of new information. Maybe you guys all know this and it's just new to me, but it's new to me and um, I enjoy learning about it. You know, I think you're, I think you push a little too far. You know, it's not all, it's not all corporations LB. It's not all corporations. Oh, it's not. And just so you know, some of my best friends are shares. Yeah. So <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like going out with them? They pick up the tab? Are Sometimes. They stiff? Yeah. 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 Okay. I have to vote on it and then my vote doesn't get counted. But other than that, it's really, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Um, you never yeah. okay. know where you're going to eat or what you're going to eat, but you do have to pick up the check. They actually don't eat, which is the best. They are cheap dates. It's good stuff. <laughs> oh, no. Um, okay. Uh, it's time for media. It's time for media. Oh, media all right. Time. A little singing, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Jack Smith and Fonny after me. Should I stay or should I flee? 200 G's, they set my bail. 
No way I'll ever go to jail I'm Daddy Vladdy's nominee Should I stay or should I flee? Should I stay or should I flee now? Should I run or watch TV now? If I flee, it's hello Moscow But if I stay, I'm in the hooskow Please put an MBS or she I can't stay, I gotta flee That's it. I don't know. It's going. Okay. Good job, Chunk. Good job on the animation. Good stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. We, we've made our guest wait long enough because long uh, enough. She, she can't stay too, too long anyway. Um, she is the author of Virus and Golden Handcuffs, Secret History of Trump's Women. She has a great Substack called American Freak Show. Nina Burley. Hey, kids. Welcome back Hi. to the 5-8. Hi. Oh, it's so good to see you, Nina. Well, it's good to see you guys. And that, oh, come on. Please, Putin, MBS or she. That was good. Is that your voice we're listening to, Greg? Yeah, that's my voice. You're getting better every year. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I, I'm I've, very limited. It's limited, but you know, it's okay. I, you, have, you have a good range, and you can, you wouldn't want to hear me try to sing that. I'll karaoke it in a bar one night, though. All okay. right. We're going we're gonna to hold you to that. That that's that's what we're gonna do. So, um, how was your summer? Like, what do you what what have you been working on? What's going on? Well, I've been uh, been upstate um, in my little town, and I have been swimming a lot. I've been biking. Um, I've been working on a novel, uh, second one actually, oh, trying to get the okay. first one published. Um, and I'm doing you know doing the substack, uh, doing the stacking. Yeah. Loving your um, stuff, watching, yeah, really watching and watching and listening. And I'm working on another, I'm working for the new Republic mostly. I'm contributing editor there. So I'm writing, writing a couple of long pieces that will come out early next year. Wonderful. Um, and have really kind of hooked up with this community of amazing researchers and investigators who are on the progressive side, who I've been, I've just been astonished at how much work people are doing on um, on all fronts. Um, you know, in addition to the indictments, there's a lot of there's a lot of political strategizing and information exchange and a lot of document digging and so on being done by some great people. So we'll see more of that as, you know, 24 comes well, around. This this is that makes me very happy because you know, the Barry side piece was really great. I mean that was just a you thank know, you so much. Yeah, that, was, yeah. that was such that a good was a one. Bear. It was a yeah, bear. It was a bear. It was it was worth it. It was it really was a worth Chicago it. story, and it was a bear because yeah. that guy is is locked down. Yeah, wow. and he's yeah. old. He's old. He's you know. Um, I mean, maybe in vampire years, not so much, but you know, for normal people. So <laughs> my only quibble, by the way, with your with your Substack is I get that email and oh, it's neatest thing. I'm going to open. I open it up. And then in the banner, it's like Steve Bannon's face. And I literally, I'm like, ah, like every time I know it's coming and it, it, it it's like a jump scare. Well, um, would you rather have, Mel- well, I do have Melania on the you left. You have the weird Melania. And I'm I do like, have oh, Melania who's that? Oh, her, right, it's Melania. her chain then, mail. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. could just look at that. Yeah. And then I go and it's, it's really, it's a jump scare um, every time. Well, so it is uh, a freak show. I mean, what else are you yeah. going to do? I guess I could put him behind a screen, but. <laughs> No. We need to be. No, no, it's perfect. Yeah, no. it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's, we might uh, even need to make it scarier. Um, I try. 
I, I don't know that it's possible. Steve Bannon's face is is a ten out of ten. I mean, doesn't he look like a werewolf? Kind of, yeah. Kind of. Now that you say it, yeah. Rabies and mange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, everybody. A yeah. mangy werewolf. He's a mangy yeah. werewolf. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I know you got to go. So, um, we were talking last week, before whatever it was about about COVID and about the uh, response to COVID in DC and what um, the government was doing because, uh, you know, uh, over a million Americans are dead. Um, Trump and the Trump administration through their negligent handling of the, of the pandemic response, you know, people were going to die no matter what, but if you, if you sort of equate, if they had done what like South Korea did or New Zealand or one of the countries that handled it successfully, um, I read that the math is, you know, 300,000 Americans died needlessly because specifically they screwed up so badly. So um, you and you wrote this book, Virus, about this, all of this stuff, which is a really. Yeah, I think I think Deborah Burke. I mean, I think I think Trump's own um, medical advisors have said more than half a million um, unnecessarily died. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, it's um, it's coming back, right? The fall yeah. and people are. I know people who are catching it. Um, it's back around, um, mm-hmm. and it's a challenge that we have to live with. But um, you know, when it when it started, I mean, we 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 tend to forget because again, one six January sixth uh, really um, diverted us from that history. And w- although the under the under Nancy Pelosi, the House Oversight Committee was investigating the COVID response and was pulling up some information and, and kind of punishing or at least trying to drag people into uh, testimony, um, it was overshadowed by the uh, you know the the emergency really of the insurrection. So yeah. we forgot, and then of course now the Republicans are running the oversight committee, and they've decided to turn their attention to, um, you know, allegedly weaponized federal government and Hunter Biden's laptop. Right. So, uh, so we aren't really ever get, going to get, um, despite the efforts of uh, I think investigators like Mike Horowitz and the pandemic. Pandemic Response Accountability Commission, I think it's called. All these in- inspectors general are looking into, you know, how the money was mishandled. Um, enormous amounts of fraud. Um, the AP did a big report, and then Rolling Stone did a big report recently on the amounts of fraud um, that people pulled off um, with the with respect to the um, the loans and the um, unemployment money. So. Um, what was happening? I mean, and, and that those things were happening also under under the Biden administration. But the original um, outlay of money that that the Republicans or the Trump uh, released uh, was released with without any oversight. And the the oversight that they did authorize was um, given to crony companies that had no experience doing that kind of work. So you can kind of blame them for failing to keep track of it. Um, as far as the, as far as the deaths, as far as the unnecessary deaths and the, um, the mishandling um, of, uh, well, really uh, the, the kind of way that they responded to the crisis as a, an opportunity for, you know, Naomi Klein's shock doctrine, 
right? It was uh, vulture capitalism. It was do not, you know, they froze out FEMA right away and they brought in, they put Jared Kushner in charge of the, these, um, you know, uh, junior interns, kids from Goldman Sachs who were brought into the White House. They were using their own emails and they were told to um, find, you know, this direly needed equipment, but to, uh, to, pref- to prefer uh, providers who were politically connected. I mean, this is a fact. It's known. Catherine Eban has reported it. Yeah. And then when they did start to see uh, that that wasn't working, they thought, well, maybe we'll do a national uh, rollout and we'll start to get serious about this. And then they decided, well, no, because really all the deaths are happening in blue states, so we really don't have to do anything. This is all happening under Jared Kushner, right? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, when the red states, they did, there did come a red, a red COVID wave um, after they refused to take the vaccination down south, right? So then you had red COVID. But, um, you know, it was vulture capitalism. It was uh, let's pri- prioritize private industry because it can do it better. They froze out FEMA. Um, as, as I wrote in my book, they uh, early on the medical preparedness community, which this country was supposed to be number one in. Um, Those guys were on emails with each other, those men and women, um, early, early, early in in January of 2020. Whoa, we can see something's happening here. And they could not find people in the administration, CDC included, to respond properly properly to what was going on. They just didn't know how to, who to talk to because they had by attrition gotten rid of all of their experts. I'm not saying there weren't experts in the CDC. They're terrific experts in the CDC. I'm saying within the administration, they were unable to get, uh, get their, um, their ideas considered. Um, It was all politicized as, you know, and we watched this happen and I'm not telling you things that you don't know. It's just that we forget or we've stopped thinking about it. And so, um, from, you know, from that base of, of knowledge, of memory that's going down a memory hole, we have this situation now where the Republicans are going to try to make Hunter Biden an issue, and they're going to try to make uh, Joe Biden, who's known for basically honesty and being a nice guy, um, they're going to try to impeach him and besmirch his reputation because that's what they need to go after because, of course, their guy has four indictments as you so uh, as you're so your, far. Yes. Animated. <laughs> your animation, um, your wonderful animation. Who does that again? It's terrific. Chunk. Chunk. Great chunk. John is, is genius. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So now you have Jared Kushner um, who uh, is sitting down there with his two billion dollars in Saudi money that he collected six months after he left the White House, um, not many years after he helped MBS um, kind of re- rehabilitate himself after he chopped off and the fingers of a journalist and killed, killed him uh, or had him killed. And, yes. Um, and, and, you know, so, yeah, Jamie Raskin now um, this week has finally, I mean, long overdue, long ask, overdue. ask the yeah. oversight committee to subpoena him to ask Mr. Kushner about that $2 billion. I mean, yeah. uh, it, you know, what he did there, puts well, Nina, I wanna, whatever I, they're alleging about Hunter Biden 
uh, it pales oh. in comparison. And, and, you know, let's just say, okay, we're, we're not about what aboutism here, but that's the game that they play on the other side. And if, yep. if they're going to bring in or haul in and make an issue out of Hunter Biden's dealings in Ukraine, when his dad was vice president, then they better put Jared Kushner in the chair next to him in that table in, and, and have them both talk about what they were doing because Jared Kushner was in the White House. He had a senior position in the White House. He, he, was, reading, he was reading the briefs. Hang on. He had a super secret security clearance that doesn't even really exist that he was awarded because it kept getting denied by our intelligence community. They didn't want to give it to him. So this guy had clearance. He had his hands on the most sensitive intelligence product that, that we produce um, as a nation. And God only knows what we know what he was doing with it. Right. Like it's like, but what did that, is there a connection between that and the money? That is, it, it's, it's appalling. And we all know it's appalling and we're all there for that. I want to, we're going to get to that. Maybe we just have done three. And did four I jump over? Yeah, no, three, 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 four, 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 four. It doesn't matter. I want to come back. It looks like I went from the vanishing to Saudi slender man. Yeah, I'm that's fine. Writing that's about what we wanted to do. Man in my freak show column. It's fine. I, I, oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm well, excited for it. That. So I want to, I want to come back though, Nina, for just a second. I, to the pandemic, I remember Nancy Pelosi, before the last election, saying, presidential election, saying, we're going to, we have a House committee we put together to investigate the COVID response um, and whether it was intentionally failed or not. And this was all going to happen. And I remember them even saying, her even coming out and saying, we, we've looked, we are, have our sort of initial report or whatever. And then that disappeared. I don't think it just disappeared from my consciousness or my ability to find it. What happened? Where no, they did. They did release the last report they released was in January of 22 or December of 22. Sorry. Uh, yeah. At the end, you know, after as the Republicans right before the Republicans took over and banished them from the leadership of the oversight committee. So that, that project ended when the Republicans came in. Um, so yeah, Congress was looking into it. The house, the, that house committee was looking into what was going on. They released reports. You can see it online. They discovered, you know, they confirmed what we saw going on before our very eyes in terms of the, right. um, the, the, the craven, uh, or, you know, uh, cynical, cynical yeah. um, politicization of this, yeah. of this disaster and the, um, the, the sort of decision from the top right away that to, the way to deal with it was to allow the private uh, sector um, and its junior interns at Goldman Sachs to come in and try to fix it, as opposed to the experts at FEMA, the loathed government bureaucrats. They decided that early on and they, and, you know, they were looking for, they, they put Goldman Sachs interns in, in, in positions of trying to figure out how they could get um, personal protection gear for doctors and, and nurses. Um, and these kids didn't know what they were doing. They were using, also they were using personal Gmail accounts right. and they were told to look for political uh, supporters. Meanwhile, we all saw this on TV. Nurses in New York were wearing garbage bags. bags. Yeah. yeah. And people were being, for, corpses were being forklifted out of hospitals in New York 
and, and stored in refrigerated trucks. Yeah. Um, they refused to use FEMA. They, they didn't want to use these experts. Um, and that was a decision that Jared Kushner played a role in it, but it was obviously part of their ethos from the very beginning. It was, you know, we don't, the, the whole Republican attitude towards government is let's smash it. Let's shrink it. Let's smash this, this administrative state, crush the deep state. Um, and you know, it's, that's how they responded to COVID. Well, here's so, what I want to know. And then I want to go on to the slender man. And I want to hear about your article. What I want to know is, is there, where is there culpability that can also be looked at if we, there was cri- massive criminality found it, there was stuff where like you really did cause over half a million Americans to needlessly die. Right. And I don't think they were doing it, but just hang on. I don't think they can find, look, if they could find, they can't blame them for, they can't, they can't prove that. That's not something that they're ever going to be able to prove. I want to know whether what they're doing is they're investigating still, they're investigating these, these myriad frauds. I mean, you know, they're the number, the amount of money that was defrauded, but from the federal government is estimated between. 100 billion and 1 trillion dollars that's how much money was frauded from from that project now um i don't think that they're ever going to be able to recoup it you know they were and that's not that's not a political thing that's that's you know people are actually actively investigating it the doj this prac michael horowitz these inspectors general they're looking into it, but I don't think that they're ever going to come close to recouping that money. Um, and part of the reason that that money was lost was that the Trump administration hired cronies to oversee the uh, the the um, the you know security of it, and they yeah. they weren't they weren't equipped. Um, you know, would it have happened anyway? I don't think so. Um, and certainly the the deaths, the number of deaths in this country um, far exceeded what they should have because the government of, you know, under the Trump regime did not do its job because they did not want to operate as a government. They wanted to operate as a private, helping the private in, private sector enrich themselves off of this disaster. Okay, so that's a great transition into if you can hang out with us for another i know you're going but eight minutes yeah i want to talk about your article that what we've got going on here with this with the slender man <laughs> with our freak show jared kushner and as you mentioned earlier and has hit the news because jamie ratskin uh wrote a letter uh say as the minority is that what it's called when you're on the commission yeah, he's the minor, he must be the minority, the minority leader, mem, minority leader yeah. of the of the um, the minority chairman, chairman. co chairman or the minority Whoever it is the leader yeah. the leader of the of the Democrats. The ranking member who are the ranking, who you. are the minority in the oversight committee. In and the oversight and committee. he he wrote the letter, and you yeah. know I can read you a little piece of it because I'm working on this right now. Let me just pull it here. The letter says. It's a letter to Comer, who is the chairman of the committee, who's a Republican. Shortly after leaving the White House, Mr. Kushner raised $2 billion from the Saudi Public Investment Fund. 
the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia, which is chaired by Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. On June 2, 2022, then chairman, then chairwoman Maloney, who was the Democrat who ran the oversight committee when Pelosi was the House Speaker and the House was controlled by the Democrats, wrote to Mr. Kushner and Affinity, which is the company that took the money, about allegations that Mr. Kushner's personal financial interests may have improperly influenced U.S. foreign policy during the Trump administration. Yet, despite committee Democrats of repeated efforts to obtain relevant documents to understand the full scope of Mr. Kushner's foreign business dealings and the legal, constitutional, and ethical problems they create, Mr. Kushner and his fund have refused to cooperate with our requests. So that's 2022, June of 22, and now we're at the end of the summer of 2023. The Republicans are running the House committee. They've let this completely drop, even though the chairman uh, has been forced to admit, because how could you not, if you're going after Hunter Biden, has been forced to admit that the taking of $2 billion from the Sovereign Wealth Fund of the Saudis by Jared Kushner, the son-in-law of the president who was in the White House. Remember, Hunter Biden was never even a White House official. Hunter Biden didn't have anything to do with the foreign policy of the United States. Jared Kushner was, he's taken credit for the Abraham Accords, yeah. which, which, in you know, what we, what all of that, all that was, was putting a rubber stamp of public approval on what everybody who's ever covered the Middle East knew, which is that the the Israelis had some pretty good friends in the UAE and yeah. Saudi Arabia because the autocratizing state of Israel is it doesn't really have a problem with uh, Arab um, potentates and dictators. What they have a problem with are any countries that look like they're going to become democratic because they don't want that. They get along very nicely with these, with these, um, uh, with the potentates of of the of the Gulf. So with the Emirates, all all, all, all Jared Kushner did was be and you know Jared Kushner is very close to Netanyahu. His father had Netanyahu over at their house in New Jersey. They were buddies. You know he has always been anti-Palestinian and and anti-two state. So. Did he get, you know, does he get some kind of a um, little pat on the head for helping them do that? Or is it two billion dollars? It's not it's not even it's there's more than that, too, because, OK, there's C- a lot Kushner, more than that. Kushner and MB just quickly off the top of my head. Kushner and MBS are hanging out like in October before the before the election day even happens or whatever. Kushner knows things. They ha- stay up late. They have their hangout and then Kushner leaves. And then immediately there's a purge of the Saudi royal family um, a- executed right. by MBS, which is thought to believe to be. Um, you know, based on information that Kushner told him, uh, MBS bragged that Kushner, I have Kushner in my pocket. He said, that's right. The first state visit of Trump in, uh, as president is to Saudi Arabia, a place no U S president had ever visited where he participated in that ridiculous sword dance and put his hand on that stupid orb. Right. Mm -hmm. Kushner arranged that. We didn't have an ambassador to Saudi Arabia. We didn't fucking have one. Kushner was the de facto ambassador to Saudi Arabia. There was the Qatari blockade where Kushner was like, let's do this thing. And they were like, great. And then, you know, then suddenly the blockade was lifted and suddenly the Qataris paid off his fucking debt on his ridiculous building. So it's not like I see in the comments here, somebody using the words narcissists and sociopaths. 
And yes, those those people and the UAE included those those people. I mean, look what the UAE um, did. Look what um, the other what's his name? I'm blanking on MBZ. MBZ. Um, I get them mixed up. The with you know the the one who kidnapped his daughters and locked them up. I mean, the things that they do to women over there, and the things that the Saudis do to women and to people who um, have the temerity to tweet something that they don't like. Um, they lock them up and they throw them in dungeons and they throw away the key, not to mention torture and, and chop people's heads off. So those that is who Jared Kushner palled up with when he got in there. And let's just oh, remember let's just remember what this is, is a sovereign what is a sovereign wealth fund? Okay. The the UAE sovereign wealth fund is in the trillions. This the Saudis are close to a trillion. And what is a sovereign wealth fund? A sovereign wealth fund is when like 10 people control a trillion dollars. That's what a sovereign wealth fund is in those countries. <laughs> it's not what a sovereign wealth fund might be in Norway. It's 10 people or 17 people control a trillion or $2 trillion. And when you control, when that small a number of people controls that kind of money, you can do anything. You could come in here right now on camera and drag me out and throw me out the window and there would be nothing, nothing would happen. That's what happened. To, that's what, that's what the, the, um, the chopping off of the fingers on, on a recorded line that the Turks could hear of a, of a U.S. journalist. And there was absolutely nothing they could do about it. So let's go back to Jared. Young Jared needs money. These guys need something. He does what they need. And that's who he is. And you know what? A lot of Americans would do that. A lot of people would do that. A lot of people, unfortunately, they are, the, the, the problem with these, these concentrated piles of wealth is that they can find a price. They can find somebody's price, right? Yep. So Bill Nicholson, all those golfers. Uh, yeah. Oh, let, yes. Let's go. Yeah. The golf, the, the whole, you, we could do a whole issue, a whole evening <laughs> on the golfers. But so that's who Jared Kushner is, right? And you know what? They're laughing at him over there. They're yeah. laughing and they're laughing at us and they're laughing at Trump and all of those men dancing with swords, as you mentioned, because they are absolutely purchasable. And for uh, Raskin to ask Comer to subpoena him is, you know, if they're going to talk about Hunter Biden, then they absolutely have to subpoena Jared Kushner. The problem is the Democrats don't want to talk about Hunter Biden and because they don't want to talk about Hunter Biden, they don't want to go down this road. That's, that's, I think what's going on. And I'll, I'm going to write a little bit more about that because yeah. I'm told the that that's an issue. They don't. don't want to talk about Hunter Biden. They don't want these because all of these donor packs, the Democrats have donor, they have money, they have dark money. They have dark money, just like the Republicans. They have donors and they have PACs. And those people are ready. They stand ready to put this kind of information into ads in front of people in these five states that are going to make the big difference in this country. But they're not doing it. They're not making they're not pointing out that Jared Kushner is is a is a Hunter Biden on steroids. Yeah. Not even the same level of, of uh, thing. I mean, Jared fundamentally is it's it, two billion dollars to your point about the wealth fund is nothing. 
It's it's the it's functional nothing. equivalent of throwing a hundred bucks on on the on the vanity while leaving the broth. Exactly. Then they're laughing about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's disgusting. It's this guy that this guy hasn't been it's it just it's appalling and disgusting and it's horrifying. And uh, you know, he killed a lot of people. He has blood in his hands. And um, yeah. that's it. Everywhere he goes for the rest of his life, people should hiss at him. Um, so that's it. Um, Nina, I know you have to go. Um, thank you so much for joining us tonight and, and taking the time. Great to see Peace you as out, always. Kids. Um, we look forward to reading your article. And uh, yeah, we'll see yes, you soon. Everybody, okay. everybody, su please subscribe to the Political Freak Show. Well, here we go. There it is. Sunday there morning. it is. AmericanPoliticalFreakShow.substack.com. Sunday okay. morning. Right. Speaking truth to power, baby. Yeah, it's great. It's terrific. Okay. Bye, Nina. Ciao. Bye, Nina. Okay. All right. That was All great. Right. I love a good fuck Jared. Nothing makes yeah. me happier than just a <laughs> I know. I, know. I hate him well, so he much. He deserves it all. He deserves everything. It's right up the road from my parents' house, man. Uh, I can't believe it. I can't believe that he's from there. It really just drives me nuts. What an embarrassment for New Jersey. What a goddamn embarrassment. You know, every time New Jersey has a chance to go a few steps forward, Oh, they just, what is you know, it? What is the line? They pull me back in. Yeah. Between Giuliani, like making all Italian Americans disgraceful it, 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 and Jared, it's really just, it, it, it's just a one, two punch. So yeah. Uh, uh, Leonard Leo, it's all these Sam Alito, some yeah. bad people from New Jersey. It's really terrible. Yeah, but not you, Greg Oliar. All right. Yeah. Do you have announcements for us this uh, week? My main announcement is I had Ruth Ben Giat on my podcast, which it's okay. always great to go hear what she has to say. So, uh, you know, go check that out. That's what that's what I got. Um, do you have announcements? I'm sure I do, but I don't remember them. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. We're not going to do right no after We're hours, right? After hours tonight, uh, but we will because it's Labor Day and we've got a lot going on, guys, and I know you do too. But we'll be back and we'll try for one next week. I might be soloing it, but we'll make something happen for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I, it should be fine. We should be good. Yeah. And, All right, uh, we'll do it next week. Okay. Um, Here we go. Last eight minute segment, everybody. Stand back and stand by the warden. <laughs> You alluded to this earlier, LB, the, the, uh, yeah. the, the, you know, the grinding of justice. You know, we've heard that, that saying like the wheels of justice grind slow, but the, 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 yeah, well, now we're looking at the results of this. We're like, oh, wow, this really is a fine looking paste here. The, like, crumbly up stuff that we've got here. Um, the proud boys this time, uh, Joe Biggs, 17 years, Zachary rail. 15 years. Ethan Nordine, 18 years. Dominic Pizzola, 10 years. Yeah. A lot of years. A lot, a lot of years. years. And I think mm -hmm. it was at Pizzola. Who was it that walked out of the courtroom and after being so contrite? You know, I thought it was bit, Biggs like, that did that. I, was yeah, it Biggs and walked out and said, Donald Trump is stolen? Like, had to do the thing. And yeah. the judge was like, Yeah. Let's point out, can we point out here how they all cried? They cried. <laughs> I didn't mean it. I'm such a bad, bad. Oh, my daughter. I'm not going to see my daughter. Well, guess what? The cops that died don't get to see anybody ever again, do they? No. I got zero sympathy. Your daughter's better off without you. Go to jail, and no one will remember your name, like, really within 15 minutes of this podcast ending. You know? Well, they're, they're, they're I mean, there, there's something. He, he, there's a couple things. I have a couple thoughts about this. 
first the maximum sentence yay yay where it can be had and i i these folks i don't know that we're going to get information out of them that's going to implicate but i think they were so sloppy in their communications you know with one another and in their planning of being just because so emboldened right that's the thing that uh donald unleashed and, and he unleashed it the second he came down that escalator and said mexicans are rapists he just it allowed people to sort of feel like oh i can be free with my insanity right i can be free with my rage i can be free with my... that's why they all talk feel like he gave them some kind of freedom because he again and i've said this many many times for years and years and years but he made it okay to for you know where people had had social constraints on them like you can't say that don't say that you know don't think that or don't like this is the way we do things because we're all trying to work in a society together and not be driven by hatred um and he was like nope i hate I'm driven by hatred. You're right. All those people that told you we're wrong, they're the wrong ones. Stick with me. And it just, it just released them. Right. Um, so this is just an extension. This, these folks that, uh, ended up getting what we call radicalized. Um, but I don't, it's almost just like they were just they feel like they're free from boundaries, free from the law, free from consequence, free from all these things. These are the freedoms they're talking about. Freedom from any accountability. Well, you got some accountability now. Um, now they're all going to go together into prison. And that's generally not a, I hope they are separated. I, I it's, not we haven't had good luck with that we've got into like in uh war zones and we've we've got in there we've kind of put uh prisoners that uh, uh, together it, it hasn't worked out well when it's, that are radicalized and it hasn't it, uh, once everyone's back into society or the thing is over i'm specifically thinking about what we've done in the middle east as a nation what other nations have done it doesn't work well to put these radicalized leaders together in a prison setting and allow them to fester for 10, 18 years. Yeah, we saw, we all saw yeah. Superman too. We know how this right that They're out of society. It's great that they're having these consequences. It's good to see justice working. Maybe uh, there's, hopefully there's some thought, speaking of the warden, hopefully there's some thought put into what's happening there. We've got some, you know, our, our white nationalist movement, our white supremacist movement in this nation didn't get uh, aided and abetted by uh, the white, you know, the Nazis that got for hate crimes thrown into prison and then proliferated there. So I, I don't know what we do about the radicalization. That is my, I'm I get stuck on that every time. I don't know what we do about it. Um, justice rolling is really important. It's really important that there are consequences for the political processes in the democratic processes in our nation so that as voters go, they can see this is a losing path. Don't choose a losing path. Choose a winning path. You don't want to choose a path where you end up in prison because you pretended to be an electorate for Halloween 
because Rudy Giuliani is a ghoul and he tricked you into thinking Halloween was any day of the month, any day of the year you wanted it to be. You could just pretend to be an elector and then that, right? So yeah, there's consequence for that. That's all great. Um, I do think we got to think about the minds that we're imprisoning together. Here's the thing, though. We don't really have to think about it again until 2033. That's a long time from now. Okay. Long time from now. Florida might be underwater by then. We don't know. Lots of things. That's might true. Happen. Lots of things mm -hmm. can happen. That's that is true. Yeah. I just I Texas worry. might turn you blue. Know, I worry. I worry about this the stuff that no one's willing to just go. Our leadership isn't willing to address head on. It just sort of like becomes this mutated monster when we just say, oh, okay, let's just ignore that. Look at Jared Kushner. Oh, it's too complicated to go after these guys. Well, look, it's it doesn't work to avoid the elephant in the room. It just doesn't. No. The elephant in the room with these guys is they're thought leaders for a radicalization movement. They are. Well, you know, any other society at any other time and place, you know, they wouldn't be going to prison. Let's just put it that way. That's true. Yeah. And our our enlightened society allows them to try to rehabilitate themselves. That's the purpose of it. And, you know, maybe just to play devil's advocate here, literally, maybe they'll go in there and be like, hey, wow, you know who's responsible for me being in here? Fucking Trump. What an asshole. Maybe. You know? Maybe I mean, don't talk. I don't know. I don't yeah. know that we need them to. I don't know that justice needs them to. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I think I'm just I was just pleased to go. Oh, yeah. Those guys, you know, and yay. Mm, go, yeah. You know, consequences. Real. Yeah, hope you had your fun working. Yeah. 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 It'll be good. 2033. It's a lot. It's like it's like 10 Super Bowls, man. It's a long time. It's a lot of time. They might get pardons. We'll see what happens. <laughs> pardons. We'll Even see. if Trump becomes president again, he's not going to pardon these assholes. What does he care? First thing he's going to do. No. Okay. Gives a shit. That's the first thing he's going to do. I don't think he gives a shit. Oh. All God. right. You have anything else to add? No, that's it. Like, uh, right, we're we're celebrating that. Uh, we're celebrating the win. Yeah. Take the W, man. Take I'm the w. taking the W. Take the W. Cheers to the W. It's a lot of years. If you know. If we had one beer for every year that those four guys were in prison, we would be on the floor. Yeah. Well. Yep. Well, it's good. I like it. Goodbye. Let's hope, let's hope we throw away the key. Okay. That. Wait, I got to turn the banner off, which I always forget to do. Uh, that is the show for this week. Thanks for watching. Please like. You got to hit the like button, I guess, on this YouTube thing. Please subscribe to the show here. If you haven't already done so, please consider joining, becoming a member. And then next week, you can hang out with us in the after hours. Yeah. Um, also, we have the 5-8 podcast, which exists as a podcast. Please subscribe to that. It's available everywhere. Podcasts are, they're not sold. They're just free. You can just go, you know, download it. And, um, and Greg. Yeah. We're going to get through this. The 5-8 is hosted by me, Greg Oliar, and LB, Stephanie Koff. Animation is by Chunk, at Chunkled. The music is My Spy, by Howie King, the sum of all music. Please like, share, and subscribe. 
here and on YouTube. To become a 5-8 member and support our show, go to the5-8.com. That's the F-I-V-E number 8.com. Join the party this weekend. We're your Friday night hang.